Welcome to our podcast this week. I'm Dwayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for Build Explore the Bible. This week we're looking at session six of our study through the book of Romans. We'll be actually looking at Romans chapter six, verses one through 14. The key idea here is that we've been freed from sin by the death of Christ. The way the passage is outlined is verses one through seven. We've entitled that dead to sin. Paul asked rhetorically in verse 1 about whether salvation gave a person the freedom to sin so that greater mercy could be received. He's going to answer that no, and he explains that when people accept Christ, they identify with his death and are no longer slaves to sin. So therefore, salvation includes being freed from the slavery of sin. Verses 8 through 11 in our outline, we have designated that section as being alive in Christ. Paul explains here that the believer gains eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the consequences of sin, which is death, no longer serves as master over the believer. That's the main idea in 8 through 11. Verses 12 through 14, Paul talks about here being us, us being tools of righteousness. He reminds us that continuing to sin functioned as an offering to our former lives apart from Christ. He then challenges us to offer our obedience to God with the righteousness that he grants through his son. And he uses the phrase instruments, and some translations use weapons. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit during this time as well. So David, let's jump right on in here. David Briscoe is my guest today. David's one of the members of the Explore the Bible team with the adults. He was with us last week as well, and he's joining us this week. David, let's first start about this idea very right off the bat. Why would a person think it to be a good idea to sin even more? Okay, well, uh, let me just give a, a kind of a bottom line statement there, and that is uh, that comes from Paul, uh, and that is that sin corrupts our thinking. So that's that's some pretty corrupt thinking there that we continue in sin in order that grace may abound. But Paul himself asked that question rhetorically, um, and so uh, when he. Uh, began that verse, he, he used this phrase, what should we say then? Well, that, that's a transitional phrase. So it means that what's going to come after that question, what should we say then, uh, really points back to what he was saying earlier, uh, specifically in chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. So as we think about why would a person say that, uh, that uh, it's to continue in sin so that grace may multiply, uh, it, it points back to what Paul had been talking about in those previous verses. And, and really, there are three things that I would underscore that come out of chapter 5, verses 18 to 21 that sets the backdrop. Uh, one is that Adam's sin, Adam, the first human being, the first man, Adam's sin brought condemnation to everyone. Uh, that's the sin nature that came to all of us uh, who are offspring of that first man, uh, Adam. Uh, and yet, Paul is talking about Christ's righteousness. His obedience brought the possibility of life for all. Uh, then a second thing he's saying in those verses in chapter 5 at the conclusion, he's saying the law, which he's talking about the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, multiplied the damage of sin in, in this sense. If I know what the law says is sin, but I do it anyway, well, I'm all the more guilty because I have sinned willfully. 
I have chosen to sin in spite of knowing that the law says something is sin. But then a third thing Paul says in those verses and underscores is that uh, God's grace in providing forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ multiplied all the more too. Uh, so that those, even those who were guilty of sinning willfully, if they are repentant and will put their faith in Christ, uh, Jesus Christ wipes clean. He forgives the sin of that repentant believer. So uh, it, it's out of that backdrop then that Paul poses this rhetorical question because he was anticipating that, that someone might twist and misinterpret the idea that multiplied damage of sin through the law brought an even greater multiplication of God's grace. So, so verse 2 is just his, uh, his answer to that. And, and I can't overemphasize how, how strong a statement that is when he says, absolutely not. Uh, other translations might say, God forbid. We would think that way. May it never be that we would ever think that way because uh, that's an evidence of, uh, of corrupt thinking, the kind of thinking that uh, unsaved people uh, would, would think, certainly not. It feels like they're trying to find a way out. Exactly. They're trying to justify uh, their wish to, to continue in sin, uh, but that's not the kind of change that uh, Christ brings when he brings salvation. In that, in that same part of that, that passage there, David, uh, Paul says that we're dead to sin, uh, but our, our experiences show that we still fight sin. We still have sin in our lives. Um, how can we help our groups wrestle with this idea that they're dead to sin, yet they still have to deal with temptation? They still face that reality in their lives. Right. Well, Paul was, Paul was continuing with his answer uh, to this question he posed, a rhetorical question, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? He just first says, that's ridiculous, that's corrupt thinking. Absolutely not. But then he goes on here in uh, 6.2 and following to rebuff that idea uh, that believers would, would ever think that way. And he he responds in this way, well, how can we, it's another question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, so the idea of how corrupt thinking that is, uh, is the idea that someone who has died to sin would still want to continue in sin, uh, especially in thinking that it would multiply God's grace. Uh, but inherent in Paul's question of uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it, uh, there's another potential misunderstanding there that Paul deals with as well, uh, and that is the, the idea of a believer concluding that he or she no longer commits sin. Uh, our, our experience as believers tells us, yes, we do. We still struggle with sin, even as believers. Uh, but I've heard people put forth this argument that, uh, uh, you know, we, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I, I don't sin anymore. And we know that uh, from John's writings that uh, 
this idea was around in the first century. In 1 John 1, 8 through 9, he said, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and, and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's, with that in mind, let's go back to Paul's uh, carefully structured explanation of what it means for the believer to be dead to sin during their life. So he uses the imagery of baptism. He's not suggesting now that water baptism has a saving effect, but water baptism is a dramatic picture of what happens in the spiritual realm when a person is saved. The new believer is immersed into Jesus, which includes being immersed into his death. How does that happen? Well, Jesus died in my place for my sins on the cross. He died for every believer's sins on the cross. So when I believe in him, I am united with him, and so I'm united with him in that death. And we know as well that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. So guess what? Well, the believer is united with Christ in his resurrection as well. Uh, in Galatians 2.20, Paul certainly expressed the testimony of every believer and uh, what he was talking about here in uh, chapter 6 of Romans when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Okay, so that's I'm united with Christ in Christ's death on the cross. I no longer live. Well, I know I live in this life uh, until my death or until Christ's return. But Paul is saying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, in this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that, that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about being baptized into Jesus' death. We're buried with him by baptism into that death. Uh, and so we're raised to live a new life. So and baptism depicts salvation it, for us. It does. And one final point. In Romans 6, 11, Paul wrote, So you two consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that, that's an important uh, idea there. The, the term consider yourselves, it's an accounting term. It means to reckon or to count or to enter into the ledger. So uh, Paul was, was saying that because you have believed in Christ and you've been united with him in both his death and his resurrection, Paul now says that you are to reckon yourself, count yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. You don't respond to it. You're not bound by it. It's over. But you uh, consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. David, in verses 12 through 14, uh, Paul uses the phrase, depends on which translation, some translations use the word instrument, some use weapons, but you're either an instrument slash weapon of unrighteousness or your instrument slash weapon of righteousness. This is uh, in verses uh, 13, well it's all in 13 at that point. Um, how might a person be a weapon of unrighteousness or instrument and a weapon or instrument of righteousness? All right. Uh, well, the, let's just take this word 
offer or to present, which is the way it's translated in the King James, uh, NIV, and also the ESV. Because that word can reference a sacrifice too, right? That's right. It comes out of that world, that culture of a sacrificial system. Uh, But literally it means to stand alongside of. So here's, here's what Paul is saying there. All right, you've got these instruments, these tools, these weapons that sin uses. And it's a weapon for, not of, but for unrighteousness. And in the same way, in contrast to that, uh, your life can be a weapon, an instrument that God uses for righteousness, for what it means to live a life right with him. And so... uh, it, it, it's really the same as what Paul was talking about. Uh, you know, his, his letters to the Romans and to the Galatians uh, are very similar in a lot of places because he was dealing with this same issue of what the gospel uh, really is and what the gospel means for believers. So in, in Galatians 5, uh, verses 19 to 23, he talks about the fruit of the, uh, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. So when he talks about uh, our lives being either weapons for unrighteousness, that's, uh, that's the same as my life is filled with works of the flesh, therefore it's, it's a tool, it's a, an instrument of sin. And then he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's uh, comparable to what Paul is talking about, your life being uh, a weapon of right living, a right standing with God, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all, all of these things, when these actions and attitudes are in your life, your life is being used by God as a weapon for righteousness. So it would be safe to say you, you could have a sword. I'm just picking some item here. You could mm-hmm. have a sword, and whether it is Righteous or unrighteous depends on whose hand it's in. That's, that's a good point. Okay. Absolutely. Are there any other things that you would see in this passage that we need to be aware of for this coming Sunday, David? Uh, well, I, I think there's this question about uh, how does baptism uh, depict salvation? How does baptism by immersion in water depict salvation? That's underscored in this passage. And so in, in Romans 6, 4, Paul was dealing with this imagery And he said, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So the the, the immersion in water, baptism by immersion in water, is such a, a graphic picture of dying to self, being buried underneath the water in that way, uh, it depicts your being, you're dying to self, you're being immersed into the life of Christ. Uh, and then as you're raised from that water, it depicts that you have been raised by Christ. Because of his resurrection, you've been raised to live a new life. And that, that picture is, um, uh, is just used there and explained there in such a way that uh, and you know we we see baptisms. It, it just is important for us to remember that our our water baptism is such a graphic picture of what really happens uh, spiritually 
when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. A rich passage, all kinds of imagery here. Look forward to teaching that this lesson this coming Sunday. Thank you for tuning in with us. Next week, we'll be, get, we'll be uh, looking at uh, a passage out of Luke as we get ready for Easter Sunday. Uh, so session seven, we'll be looking at the resurrection. Uh, so just know that we'll, we'll move away from Romans for one week, and you'll hear that next week, and then we'll come back to Romans uh, after Easter. So thank you, and look forward to visiting with you next week. <laughs>